Radio News. And now for the Faith FM Breakfast Show with your hosts, Lyle and Lawson. Welcome, everybody. You're listening on 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. Special shout out to everybody listening in Hamilton, Victoria on 88.0, Gisborne, Victoria also on 88.0 or Barossa, South Australia once again on 88.0. I got friends who live out in the Barossa Valley. Do really they, beautiful place. Do they li- do they listen to Faith FM radio? I don't know. Maybe we should find out. If you are uh, friends of Lawson <laughs> and you are listening in the Barossa this morning, uh, in really spectacular, beautiful country, mm-hmm. then give us a call or shoot us a text message. Let us know. Mm-hmm. Let Lawson know. You're his 100%. mate. You're, you're yeah, we're friends. Him. We're buddies. Yes. The particular people I'm thinking of I haven't seen in like almost 10 years, but regardless, yeah, shout I'm- out those guys. Absolutely. Amazing. What are you, what are you thankful for I'm this I'm thankful morning, that, I'm thankful that you can have friends like that, that when you meet them, you just pick up where you left off. Yeah. Just- I, I, I think it's, I'm wondering, I've got a bit of a theory about this. Mm-hmm. And maybe you as a listener can help us out. 0491064669. Is this a man thing? Oh, I think so. Because I think, I find that, that women tend to keep in contact more. Whereas us guys, out of sight, out of mind, completely unoffended, For pick sure. up where we left off. For sure. Next time we 100%. see each other. That's me. I think I'm even an extreme case of that. Like, I, which can be a bad thing because I don't want to seem selfish, but I'm just like, like, I don't want to seem like I don't care about people. But No, we do care about I, people. Of course I care. But we life. Just- <laughs> You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. It is time for the first question for our quiz this morning. The first question for the quiz. After the seven sons of Steva attempted to cast out a demon unsuccessfully, what did they do? 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. If you do, you will go into the draw to win our amazing prize for this week. From plant to plate, the diabetes edition, turning fresh, simple food into a delicious habit by Tammy Bivens. Uh, I have personally just been seeing and and experiencing myself how much diet uh, affects our bodies and the way we live. I'm kind of like in a place right now where I'm going to the gym five days a week and eating appropriately to, you know, make sure that I have enough energy to be able to do that. And I'm, I'm seeing my, I'm counting my calorie intake. I'm seeing my weight decrease and increase and go all different directions based on like small choices that I make every day of like how much I should eat of a certain thing or what type of thing I should eat. Like we can really micromanage our bodies and and our bodies are so intricate in regards to what we eat. And this book is all about not necessarily making things difficult and intricate, but giving you the tools to be able to just eat healthy and eat well to avoid terrible lifestyle diseases like diabetes. Absolutely. So, guys, zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call or text. And if you do, you can answer the question, which is: After the seven sons of Steva attempted to cast out a demon unsuccessfully, what did they do? We also want to say we draw, as usual, our prize on Friday, and as we all know, there is a public holiday on Thursday, so there's actually less opportunities 
to get in oh, this quiz. Yes. So that means every Only opportunity three days this week. That's right. Every opportunity to get in the quiz is valuable. But furthermore, if there's less opportunities to get into the quiz, there's more opportunity to win. There's more chances that you'll win. Oh, so guys, yes. you got less competition. 9106466969 after the seven sons of Steva attempted to cast out a demon unsuccessfully. What did they do? All right, if you know the answer, you know the number call. Lawson, bring us some positively different news this morning. Okay, I have a new story here that it has a positive outcome. It is incredibly heavy. Really, I just want to give a, a bit of a content warning this morning because uh, this is a really heavy, incredibly sad story um, of a woman, well, a girl, a child, from the UK named Molly Russell, who in 2017, at the age of 14, took her own life. Mm. Uh, just a horrific, harrowing story mm. of this young girl who was young and bright and have everything had everything to live for, as most people at 14 do, coming from a regularly average family, unfortunately took her own life. Now, there has been, since 2017, an investigation into why this took place. Obviously, this girl is so young. She comes from a relatively normal circumstance. And the question is, particularly for the parents, how could something like this happen? Now, after the investigation, you know, into all different various facets took place, they come to the knowledge that during the time preceding the about one year, 10 months preceding uh, her suicide. Molly was using Instagram 120 times per day, Oof. which is a lot. Uh, during that time, she had liked around 11,000 pieces of content and she used the image sharing site Pinterest uh, more than 15,000 times during this mm-hmm. time. So Pinterest, Instagram. So she's got a massive, a massive social media addiction happening here. Yeah. But the thing that they found particularly you know, that linked this, that they they are thinking linking links this to her suicide is that a lot of the content that she was consuming whilst using particularly Instagram was content that was idolizing self-harm, depression, and suicide. Ooh. And so uh, upon seeing this, coming to this realization, obviously huge questions have been raised as to child safety on the internet, obviously. Okay, so when it comes to restrictions on freedom of speech, I'm very much a free speech kind of guy. Yeah. But do we need to be do we need to be promoting suicidal ideation to fourteen year olds? Fourteen year olds or anyone for that matter? That's right. I think there is a like a big question to ask here about free speech, particularly because you've got a platform like Instagram and there's that back and forth debate. It's like, it's a private platform. It can do whatever it's want. But also at the same time, it's a, it's a hub for knowledge. So therefore there okay. should be some level of freedom to be able to share your opinion. And but here's the thing. Here's the thing. We don't allow terrorists to go on there and to promote terrorism That's right. because we do not allow speech that promotes violence. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And surely speech that promotes suicide is speech that promotes violence. 100%. I I totally, totally agree. And this has now led to a trial in which spokespeople from Meta, which is, you know, the parent company of Instagram, and from Pinterest, 
are being put on the stand to, you know, under oath to talk about what it is that this, like the problem. And they know what's going on. The platform that the created has, a, a, yeah. an addictive platform 100%. and they are making it more addictive as much as they can. That's right. But the questions coming up is, is it's twofold. It's like their knowledge of this content on the platform and then secondly, what they are going to do about it. And in this trial, Molly's case is one of the prime, you know, pieces of sources of information as to, and, and, and uh, yeah, ex- examples of how it is something like this can take place. The bizarre thing is you can be thrown in Facebook jail for the most benign comments yeah. imagined. I've got so many friends who have been thrown in Facebook jail for, and you look at what their comment was and you're like, really? That was like really benign stuff. Mm. Yeah, maybe slightly spicy, but it's not hate speech. It's not something that's calling for violence. It's none of those things. And, and they allow things on there that that promote suicidal ideation. Mm. I mean, hey, I want to hear what their defence is. Maybe they have a good defence and maybe this is something that they are struggling to contain and they don't have the tools to really contain it as much as they need to and maybe they're trying. I don't know. Yeah. But I want to know because I know a lot of people have been thrown in Facebook jail. Yeah, I, I think for myself, like, I can't say that I regularly consume content that is suicide ideation or, or where I really know how to find it. But I think I have in the past come across things like this. And the reason that it I've- wouldn't it wouldn't be banned or... Because the reason that it wouldn't be banned is usually it's in a bit more of a relatable format. But the thing is, sure. it's like... As a 14-year-old, discerning, you know, how it is that that content relates to you is so difficult and what you idolise and what you don't, like, that is so difficult that I think, again, it just comes back to the need for parental restriction in this area. Now, I don't want to blame this kid's parents for what happened to her, because, like, well, now they are just working so hard and advocating for online safety. And I think for them, they have gone through probably the worst possible outcome of a lesson as to why online safety and looking after your children in that space is so important. Absolutely. And and it is harrowing and now, like, 100% of our sympathies go towards them. But, I, again, I think, and they would say themselves, the parents of this girl, Molly Russell, would say themselves this calls for us to be parents. Absolutely. To look after our children in this Recently I was on a panel where, part of a panel discussion, where we were being asked questions about parenting. And one of the questions that came through was, at what age do you let children have free reign access to screens without parental guidance? Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, well, definitely not before the age of 18 and probably while ever they are under your roof. And I think that's, you know, perfect. A lot of people are like, shock, horror, because nobody does that these days. But here's a prime example as to why you would never let somebody, let a child have free reign access to a screen. And by by free reign access, I'm saying that you would never let a child take a screen to their room, that you would never let a child have access to a screen outside of an area in which you can see what's going on as Mm. a parent. Mm. And uh, why you would never give a child a smartphone. Mm -hmm. 
And I make absolutely no apology for that because so many of our children, their lives are being permanently destroyed or they are dying. They've been killed by this. Mm. So be a parent. Mm -hmm. Give your children a dumb phone. You can keep in contact with a dumb phone. They will do just fine. We all survived without phones back in the dinosaur era of the X Generation X. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. We're about to get into some more serious news before we do. We are going to have another question for our quiz. Another question for the quiz. In which psalm does it say, a thousand shall fall at your side? 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer. If you do, you will win our prize for this week from plant to plate. Diabetes edition, turning fresh, simple foods into a delicious habit by Tammy Bivens. 0491-064-669 is the number to call if you would like to get an entry in for the draw for that one. But again, that question was, in which psalm does it say, a thousand shall fall at your side? All right. (coughs) Excuse me. Heading to the United States where Live Ray Research has just released their biennial State of Theology study. Mm. So this was a study that began back in uh, January, February of this year. They have now just released the results from that. And it's looking at what most Americans believe about theology. They cover a whole bunch of different areas. They've been tracking this since 2014. They want to sort of see how American religion is changing through time. And it's most interesting to look at it. America is probably, out of all of the modern countries, the new world countries, the most Christian of those. Mm. And so for those of us who are Christians, this is particularly relevant for us. All right, so here we go. There's some things here are going to surprise you. 58% of Americans said worshipping alone or with one's family was a valid replacement for attending church services. 26% strongly agreeing. Mm. So I find that interesting because, I mean, that flies in the face of what the Bible says, where Mm. Paul very, very clearly says, you know, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together as the manner of some is, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Mm. Uh, So Paul says that church is going to become more and more and more relevant the closer we get to the return of Christ. Mm -hmm. The next question was a little bit different, and I sort of have questions about the question, but anyway, 66% say worshipping apart from the local local church is as acceptable as worshipping with one. Mm -hmm. Uh, 35% strongly agree. Now, on this one, I would strongly agree. Mm Mm-hmm. On the first one, I would strongly disagree. On this one, I would strongly agree. But I would do that without having any uh, clash in my mind whatsoever at all. Mm. Because I would say this, worshipping apart from church on occasion, say, for instance, in the bush, yeah. is fantastic mm-hmm. and is something that we should do. But we should not do it every week. This should be the exception rather than the rule because if it becomes the rule, then it simply becomes a bushwalk rather than a worship experience. Well, I think the reality is is that like worship, true worship is true worship at the end of the day. Yes. And you can worship God at any time. Absolutely. In any way. Yes. But like, in fact, you should worship God every day. That's right. You should live your life to worship God. And we should not, and, and I think this reflects somewhat here, and, and I'm wondering whether the question was poorly worded or not because I don't know, mm. but does this reflect the fact that people... Uh, some people see that church is the only place that you can worship. Mm. That's not true. 
But then simultaneously, obviously, we are huge advocates for being a part of your local oh, church yes, community. Absolutely. And, and attending church regularly, being involved, being a part of the mission of the church, but also going to church to be blessed. Yes. Too. Like, that's why the command is there to not forsake the holy convocation. As we, we see the day approaching, it's like, why? Because as we get closer and closer to Jesus coming back, things will get more difficult. That's right. And so we are in even more need to spend time with our like-minded brothers and sisters. Okay, 66% of Americans say that God is a perfect being and cannot make a mistake. That's kind of low. 51% said they believe that God makes mistakes and learns and adapts to various circumstances. I thought that number was kind of high. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 67% believe the worship of all religions is acceptable to God, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Well, they're kind of all the the Abrahamic ones that have been listed there. Mm. Um, But, yeah, okay. 71% believe in a a Trinitarian God. Now, this is going to be interesting because 71% believe in a Trinitarian God, but... 55% 55% that Jesus was the first and greatest being created by God. 55%? Yes, 55% have not read that passage in the Bible where the Bible says that Jesus was before all things. They don't think Jesus is God? No, they do think he's God. They just think he's the greatest being created by God. Uh, okay, you got to understand here. Whoa, 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 whoa. you gotta, you got to remember, you got to remember what? that the largest Christian denomination in the United States is the Roman Catholic Church, and this is Roman Catholic teaching that we're talking about right here. Mm. And so when you've got a big chunk, that's going to tilt the scales. I thought that was a high number, but then I thought, well, there's a lot of Roman Catholics in America. Mm. I haven't looked up the percentage yet, but I will look, up, look it up a little bit later. And that's Roman Catholic teaching. So should we be super surprised? I thought, like... Arianism was like heresy for the Catholic Church. Well, it depends how you define Arianism. Mm. Uh, anyway, for example, I could read to you from, um, uh, was it Faith of Our Fathers by Cardinal Gibbons, probably mm. one of the most uh, prominent apologetic works put out in the last 100 years or so, mm. where, it said, where it clearly states this, that uh, Jesus is God, but he is the substance of the Father, begotten or brought forth before time. So it's brought forth from the Father. So this okay. is the, the teaching. that He was begotten, brought forth. That's another way of saying created. Mm. You, you, can, you can cut that cake any which way you want. If he is a recipient of life, he's created. He's created. Yes. And that's what, that's what they teach. Okay, 53% believe that he was just a great teacher instead of God. That's, be, that's, that, that's growing. Are we talking about Christians? No, we're talking about Americans. Okay. do not believe that the Holy Spirit is a personal being, but a force. Once again, a Roman Catholic teaching coming through there, and it just shows you the influence of that denomination, how Mm. it has risen in the United States. The United States really did begin as a Protestant nation, and it has changed somewhat. Mm. Okay, 60% uh, say religious beliefs are subjective rather than objective truth. Well, that's modern-day culture Mm. right there. Uh, fifth, in fact, I see that number a little low. I thought that was, I was surprised at how low that was. The truth would be subjective rather than objective. I thought that subjectivism was higher than that. Yeah, I think like since 2016, there is definitely like the counterculture to the widespread idea of, oh, all truth is subjective. 
my truth, your truth, yeah. everybody else's truth. And then, like, there's a counterculture on the other side and the prominent people who promote that counterculture, whether, I don't know, it's Ben Shapiro, Jordan Peterson, and Donald Trump and whatever. It's like, no, there's there's truth. There's yes. something there. Yeah, so yeah, so right. the divide's there, I think, so definitely. There's a thing called common sense and the definition of the word truth. Mm. You know, if you want to have something that is subjective, don't call it truth because yeah. that's the wrong word to Call use. it your opinion. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We have a word for that already. It's called opinions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't need to redefine the word truth when we already have a perfectly good word for it. Okay. Very good point there, Lawson. Uh, 51% say the Bible is 100% accurate in its teachings. That's pretty awesome. of Americans believe that hell is a real place. Mm -hmm. 66% say Jesus' resurrection is completely accurate. That was higher than I expected. Mm -hmm. Good to hear. 30% say Christians must be silent on political issues. You look at that in the United States, I was shocked at how high that number is. Mm. I really was. The US is a pretty... Uh, it's a hotbed of political discussion has been for you know the last ten years or so, mm-hmm. uh, particularly between Christians and non-Christians. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised how high that number was. If you'd have given me that number back when I was living in the states in the early nineteen nineties, I would have said that's very low. Mm-hmm. But now I think that. I oh, sorry, I'd say that that was very high. Mm. But now I think it's actually surprisingly low. Mm-hmm. Okay, this was uh, responses of 3,011 Americans. The survey was completed January uh, 5 to 23, 2022, and they began publishing this back in 2014. So that's the state of theology in the United States right now. Some things there that we can learn from. I would say that, well, I think I think it would be a given that Australia would be much weaker mm. New Zealand probably somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. I think New Zealand is definitely a more religious place than Australia. Sure. It'd be interesting to compare New Zealand with America, actually. Very different culture. Mm. But uh, another... That's right. Like the very spiritual Polynesian yeah. culture. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yep. It would be very uh, interesting to compare Polynesian spirituality with American spirituality. mm because they are both you know, big influences on those countries that we kind of don't have in this country here. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We're about to go to our interview of the day. Before we do, we have another question for our quiz. Behold what manner the manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the blank, blank, blank. Okay. <laughs> you nearly said it, didn't That's you? tough. These blank ones That's are really hard. That's tough, too. 0491-064-669 is the number to call if you know the answer to that one. From Plant to Plate, Diabetes Editions by Tammy Bivens, an amazing cookbook giving you all the information you could possibly need on how to uh, eat very healthy. In fact, there's 92 recipes. I don't think I could run out of options with 92 recipes. I feel like I cycle through four Maybe for my whole life, like maybe some extra auxiliary recipes. But if you want 92, 0491-064-669. Again, that question was, complete the verse, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the blank, blank, blank. 
All right, if you know the answer to that question, then give us a call right now because you only have three days this week to get your answers mm. in and to get your name in the hat. And that means more chance to win. Or your name well. on the wheel. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, joining us on the phone this morning is Jennifer Skews to talk about emotional health. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yes, it's good to be here again. Jennifer, where are we picking up the story today? Well, we were doing that overview. We talked a lot about the will and we were looking at the that new START acronym, which is nutrition, exercise, water, sunshine, temperance. And we had a couple more points there. So I just wanted to finish those to finish that um, process because we've also had a caller uh, phone in and wanted to know more about addictions. And this is connected. So I thought we could then look at um, what are addictions and how do we deal with them. Because um, there's a lot to do with addictions. A lot of people are highly addicted. So um, what I'll do is come back. The first one that we didn't look at was air, which is like fresh air, breathing, because a lot of people do a lot of shallow breathing. They don't breathe properly. The best time to do our breathing and to really fill the lungs is first thing in the morning when the air is still. Um, and it's a good time to really do some, open a window, go outside, do some stretching and breathing. Um, which is important, but some interesting things. With proper breathing, and this is some of the research, says it increases oxygen intake, improves memory, mental agility, stability, and it strengthens the will because we were talking about willpower. It strengthens the willpower. Really? So it, yes. Breathing, breathing strength. Yes. As in, and, and, we're, and we're not talking, I mean, hey, we breathe all the time. We're talking about breathing exercises, taking some deep breaths, yes. soaking in the atmosphere, all that. And when you get the opportunity, go out into where trees and gardens and look at uplifts the spirit. And we're talking about emotional health. And apparently good breathing also gives us physical endurance. I totally agree. Jennifer, you've said something that has really touched on one of my own personal experiences. I go to the gym and when I get into my, I, I do like a 50 minute elliptical session, like three times a week where it's just hardcore cardio, sweating, high heart rate. And the thing, the the thing that gives me a lease on life to be able to get through it. Like I'll be at the 20 minute mark and I'll be struggling. The 30 minute mark, the 40 minute mark and I'll be struggling is not drinking water. It's not slowing down. I can keep the same speed if I just start breathing deeply. Like Big breath through my nose and a big breath out through my mouth. Like as soon as I start doing that, I get into a rhythm and then I can just get through it easy. Yes, excellent because it does. Cardiovascular uh, exercise is important mm. um, So, and you can do it on your own. You don't have to go to a gym but certainly mm. doing some brisk walking, um, doing things like that because it, it opens the lungs and gets you breathing. So it's so essential um, getting that fresh air. Uh, because people who are stressed and anxious hold their breath. People who are depressed do a lot of shallow breathing. Anxious people overbreathe, uh, end up hyperventilating. So we, we underestimate the power of that breath. So I encourage people to do that. Um, yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, just just popping into my head, you know, for uh, people, you know, soldiers and so forth that are learning how to maintain uh, calmness in combat, one of the things, things that they teach them is combat breathing. That's it. 
uh, to calm themselves down. You know, you, you're in a high-stress environment. Okay, you know, what is it, five seconds in, hold, five seconds out. You know, these. I, I forget exactly what the formula is, but there's this thing called combat breathing that they teach you to do to calm yourself, to calm yourself down and prepare yourself to be in a very, very stressful environment. Yes, absolutely. And uh, it, it, it's such a powerful thing. People underestimate the power of breathing. And we lose a lot of energy when we're not breathing or we're shallow breathing. Um, and if you're busy on computers or doing things, open the window, do some deep breathing every so often, take in fresh air, and it will pick the brain up and the focus. It's, uh, it's, it's one thing I get my the, the clients I work with, I get them doing is breathing, particularly that deep breathing to calm the heart because that refocuses the brain and gets you back on that left-right brain balance. So, so with, with um, shallow breathing, I mean, just from a physical perspective, and I know your area of expertise is in you know, emotional health, but when we talk about just a physical perspective, I would imagine that shallow breathing doesn't use all of the lungs. There'd be some parts of the lungs that would be get underutilised. Is that how it works? Yeah, and that means they get this stale air sitting there. They're not doing a proper oxygen-carbon dioxide exchange. And that's where the brain gets a bit foggy. You know, you can't think straight. Um, people tend to, when they shallow breathe, they end up with slumping and get that uh, chest that sort of turns in a bit if they do it continuously. Um, so, yeah, so there's a lot to say for focusing on breathing and getting it right, doing it every day, you know, work on it. Fascinating. So Fascinating stuff. Hmm. So the next one is on rest, but I wanted, other than we rest to, which is about sleep, relaxation and recreation, but I wanted at some time we talk more about sleep and uh, insomnia, things like that, because that's a pretty big topic. Um, so I thought I might tackle that one separately at some time. Um, certainly lack of rest is a major problem for a lot of people. And if they're resting, they're not rejuvenating. So getting a relaxed rest, this is where breathing comes into it and getting out in the sunshine and uh, doing things, exercise is a, well, you know, gentle exercise helps to rest the system because it winds it down. There's lots of things we can do to get that rest. Um, the last one was to trust in God. And that, as I said, when I went through this initially, I think it should be at the top of the list. We should start at the bottom and work up because um, I have found coming back to God, I sort of went my own way for a long time in my younger years, and I now have that peace of mind that only God can give and um, and walk daily. He helps you to live in the present, and the blessings are just amazing. So I encourage people to learn and study and walk with God every day. It, yeah, so um, we had a we had a um, we had an interview yesterday with a health practitioner who was talking about the physical importance of love so just how important it is to be loved and to experience love to our physical health and you know she gave examples of children that they'd experimented on you know back in some of these totalitarian um, socialist countries back in the day where they would take a couple of kids and put them in a room and just give them food just give them the necessities and how quickly they would die and they they also talked about um, orphanages you know post-First World War where you had these massive orphanages and they found that they could decrease the mortality rate just by picking the kids up from time to time and holding them close and giving them some affection. And the, the, the important physical um, influence of 
love in the life. And one of the things that came to my mind is, okay, there's a lot of people in our world who have been rejected by a lot of people and they're pretty alone. Uh, yeah. They're by themselves. How do they find somebody to love them? They could be sort of listening to this and starting to freak out and like, well, how am I ever going to find somebody that loves me? Which then brings us back to our connection and our relationship with God and why it is so important because he loves us unconditionally. Well, God is love, and I found that. And uh, you don't have to be consider yourself a lovable person for God to love you. And we have to learn to love ourselves as well and be kind to ourselves. And we've been, we've been usually abused so much in some ways that we don't do that. So, uh, yeah, and we do die, as you said, without that love and touch. It's a horrible thing. This is why a lot of people love pets, because they get that affection and that connection and that touch. And there's that thing I love about dogs. Yeah, my my dog loves me unconditionally. Absolutely. Uh, he's always there for me. He is always going to put a smile on his face whenever I show him the slightest bit of attention. And I think that's an absolutely a fantastic thing for a lonely person to have is get a dog. They're not the same as a human being. I get that. Um, but they are definitely going to pour all of their love into you as a person. Yes, not as much as what do. God can and not as much as what a human can, but certainly going to have a, a big benefit. Well, there are other couples that love, they, they both love their pets and it really enriches their relationship. Yes. With, um, yeah, because, uh, well, as we know, God created all creatures, great and small, so um, it, it is another connection, I believe, to our creator because uh, they're just beautiful. Animals are beautiful. So I find a lot of people find pet therapy wonderful. If they can, that's what I recommend. And if they can't keep a pet, they can always go to one of the rescue centres and they like you to walk dogs or interact with the animals there. And it's a great way of doing it, a helpful way. Yeah, or even you know, we, we, we were up at uh, Queensland, uh, South Queensland Big Camp on the weekend and we did a mm-hmm. special radio broadcast from there. We were staying at an Airbnb because Big Camp was kind of booked out and... Uh, the people that we were staying with, they just had this small business where they dog sat for sort of anyone who wanted some dog sitting. And they were like, yeah, we're kind of in a position where we can't have a dog full time, but we like dogs and so we dog sit and that means we get a dog sort of, you know, once a week for a couple of days and it works perfect for us. Wonderful. Yeah, it's a a great way. So we cannot underestimate that love and touch of uh, the animals around us even wild, you know, in nature. It's a wonderful thing. It's interesting how it's being more and more recognised in society today where more and more places you're allowed to take your support animal. Yes. Yes, you see a lot of that now and they've got a little jacket that says therapy dog or support dog and it really helps anxious people. Yes. Um, And that's what I find. It gives them a lot of confidence and they don't feel alone. Yes, absolutely. I remember, you know, some years ago we had I was studying the Bible with a, a lady and encouraging her to come and join us at church because we have such a great time at church. And she's like, oh, I don't think I can. I don't think I can. And she had a bit of anxiety. And I'm like, no, nah, come along. It's going to be great. You're going to enjoy it. You know, people are going to welcome you. And she's like, ah, oh, but I, I can't leave my dog. And I'm like, bring your dog. Just bring your dog. You can sit under the, under the pew with you. He'll be fine. And so she did. And the church members actually really appreciated it. They appreciated the fact that I told her to bring the dog and that she came and she brought the dog and that the dog was definitely, you know, not a registered support animal or anything like that by any stretch of the imagination, but in effect it was and it enabled this lady to really enjoy worship. Yes, it is. It's a great thing to do. And we, I've seen people uh, certainly in, everywhere 
churches, shopping centres all over the place that now have their support pet or their therapy dog. So it's good that it's been encouraged. Yes. Very emotionally uplifting, and this is where when you're looking at mental and emotional health, it's a great support. Mm. Mm. No, that's really interesting. It um, is, is one of those things, I, and I would recommend it for somebody who's thinking of getting a support pet um, mm. to, to grab one of those small dogs that you can take more easily everywhere. You know, if you turned up with a Great Dane and said, this is my support dog, you might get a few questions asked, but you turned up with a, uh, a little poodle and everyone's just going to love all over him. Yeah, uh, that's so very true. So this is where we have um, a whole package now of how we can stay healthy and it's uh, termed as the eight natural laws of health. So if we maintain it, then our life is in balance. And as I said, one of the listeners had called in and wanted to talk about addictions or wanted to talk about addictions. When you maintain a healthy balance, um, you don't, you, your body or your brain, you don't crave things. Like, you know, we just talked about pet therapy and dogs and how that can help with the love factor and we're not constantly looking because love can be an addiction. So addictions take on all possible facets of Anything that we desire and we're focused on and if we can't get it, we become very stressed and anxious and we constantly look for it. It replaces everything in life and we neglect ourselves and and we neglect others and our life goes down that hill. I have done a lot of work with addicts. I've worked in several places with uh, specifically helping people with addictions and it's difficult. A lot of people struggle to overcome the addiction. But the interesting thing is, we talked about willpower. They have now found or it's been known that willpower will not necessarily overcome the addiction because it's actually a brain problem. Um, And there's what we call the disease model of addictions where when, particularly with alcohol, they first noted it, where the brain has a particular chemical reaction where it bumps up the desire for that addiction. So someone who's never had alcohol has a drink. What happens, that little barometer, that desire level goes up. And apparently it's a genetic predisposition and you identify it by the history of alcoholism in a family. And when... Um, with that person who has that genetic predisposition, when they stop drinking, that desire level never comes down. It stays at wherever it was when you stopped that drink. For someone whose brain doesn't have that problem, that comes back down. So they have another drink, they might enjoy it, have the desire for it, but then it will come back down. But the person with the addiction factor, it is bumped up higher and higher and it never comes down. And they've actually found this connects with not just alcohol, but other types of addictions as well. So there's definitely a brain deficit. Um, and people beat themselves up. Oh, I should have the will. And people say, well, just stop and watch your problem. But it goes beyond that. It's actually physiological, which most people don't know. Mm, so, I certainly didn't um, know that aspect of it. That was very new information <laughs> for me. I'd like to talk more about this, Jennifer. Unfortunately, we are um, we're all out of time. Um, okay. But we will come back. The great thing is that you'll be back here next week and we can pick up this story. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.